Welcome back, everyone. Do you want to come and find a seat? Nice having Andreas back in the room, isn't it? So nice having him here. Welcome. And so we're going to have our, we're going to move into our second half. Good to be with you. If you're new uh, to Hope, then my name is Chris and this is Alice and we're some of the pastors here. We love this church. We love following Jesus with, um, with people here. It's such a joy. Such a joy. And we're in a, in a series, as Charlie mentioned in the first half at the moment, about prayer. And I think this is, our, this is kind of our third slash fourth week because every, the first Sunday in each month, we have a dedicated prayer and worship Sunday, which Paul and Grace have been hosting recently. And, um, and as part of that, I think Paul was speaking on prayer as well recently. But we've, um, so we're kind of, this is kind of week four. I introduced it a couple of weeks ago in the series and look, looking at, um, actually, I'd encourage you if you didn't hear that one, um, I don't like to big, big up myself, but I, but I think it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, <laughs> I think it was, a, it was an important talk in terms of the history of hope and, and, uh, and so that kind of sets up a bit of this series on prayer. So I'd encourage you to have a listen to that if you haven't heard it already. And then great one from Bill last week as well. And, um, and so this morning we're going to be hearing from Alice. So thank you, Lord, that you're here with us. Thank you that you're here in the room with us. And uh, we pray that you become alive in each of our lives in a more powerful and tangible uh, way through what we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, In August this year, Chris and I are going to have our 20th wedding anniversary. Thank you. Uh, but the reason I wanted to share that was because I think the first 18 years of it, we couldn't pray together because we'd always argue. <laughs> um, so Chris is like this mystical, he describes himself as a mystic. <laughs> Once he's described himself as a mystic, it's like internal, contemplative, like just feeling it with God inside without many words. And I'm such an extrovert. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. so obviously we'd argue because I would annoy Chris because he's like, I'm just trying to listen. And he would annoy me because he's not saying anything. I'm like, how can you play an agreement when you're just trying to guess what the other person's thinking? Anyway, so clearly for 18 years, we were like, been the prayer together thing. Let's just do our own thing. Anyway, last summer, we went on sabbatical, as many of you all know with um with our family and in the center bit for about six or seven days we partnered with some uh friends and mentors to us pastors fatima and ossian who lead god's house international church um the other side of the city and we met with them in cape town we flew with them to joburg we ministered with them in a town outside sasselberg came back to joburg with them And so we were like with them a lot, day and night, and we were really like grilling them on um, just their faith, what do you do when you doubt, like how do you navigate it? Because we wanted to learn their black church, leading a, a black church, we wanted to understand more about how they approach prayer and faith from a different cultural perspective, and also generally wanted to change and humble ourselves and come under the anointing they have. So we were basically like, we're just open to whatever God wants to do. We didn't have any particular agenda. We didn't know what God wants to do. And often he always does something different to what we think we need anyway. 
And the thing that was imparted in, in those amazing experiences where we were able to meet some inspiring people and experience incredible things, there was one thing that was imparted to us which remains and will remain, is we noticed the first thing they did in the morning was pray together. And literally, they would meet us at breakfast and like, yeah, we've already prayed for you or your family. All the I was like, oh, God, I've just been to the gym. <laughs> That's how I get through the morning. Um, so they've all done that. And then at night, they pray about everything and go to bed. And after we'd been with them for six days, basically, grace was imparted to us. That's the only way I can say after 18 years of not being able to, we just can pray together now every day. Chris... Um, we have a dog, so Chris would do a dog walk, prayer walk for an hour every day. Came back in September and invited me into that time. And now we pray together every day. I extrovert less. He extroverts a bit more. So it's pretty even balanced pray. And I feel I can literally every day, I feel I can breathe again. I'm just like, oh, I can breathe. Because there's connection with God and in partnership with another, you know, believer. And so what I want, what we want from this series is, is grace to be imparted that just shifts something that we don't even know we're lacking until it's imparted to us. This isn't a theoretical teaching series on prayer where we learn about prayer. This is something we, we, we just want as a community to go from A, this is where we are now, to B, this is where God wants us to be, the one thing. And I heard a brilliant talk recently about a guy who's really into habits And he basically said, often we kind of want to change all these habits in our life. And that always fails. The the thing that succeeds is just the one thing. What's the one thing that's shifting? And for us, that one thing shifted from not being able to pray together to a a daily habit of prayer. Um, Actually, within a not a long period of time, you can have another habit that then changes and then another. But it's the one thing at a time that gets fully embedded. And then the next thing, the next thing. And actually, the cumulative effect of change is way quicker than trying to change five things at the same time. So we are going to look at all sorts of things on prayer over the next few months. And we already have been in the, in the first half as well. First half and second half. Um, but what we want is the one thing. What is the grace that God wants to shift us from A to B in to be more connected with him and each other? which is reality, because he's fully present to us all the time. Reality is conscious awareness of it. I was trying to define prayer, and I think it's just conscious awareness of God. That's all it is. He's, all, he's there all the time, but we need to be awakened to his reality. That's the metanoia, the change of mindset, the repentance that changes everything. The other thing we're doing is we're looking at why, why pray in the whole series, every single thing. Why pray, learning from Jesus, Bill, uh, started that, and then we're looking again today, we're going to be why pray looking at Jesus, then why pray looking at the early church, why pray looking at church history, just the why. And the reason is, um, some of you might have heard of this cultural commentator, Simon Sinek. He was actually commenting on businesses that are successful, and some of his um, examples are in the 90s. But he basically made this, and there's a TED talk, you can look, look it up, know your why, it's very famous. He basically makes this claim that the, the companies that were really successful or are really successful are not the ones where their product is their why, but it's the ones where their product is their how, 
and their why is their genuine conviction that they're going to change the world and make the world a better place. So he gives two examples. He gives Apple and Starbucks. Sorry, they're slightly out of date, but I'm going to bring a very present view as well. So Steve Jobs genuinely thought that beautiful, well-designed technology would change the world and make a better place. So his why wasn't, I get up in the morning, my why is to make technology. His why was, I'm going to make the world a better place, and my how is through designing beautiful tech. And you can have all sorts of disagreements with that, not in any way claiming that's true or real, but I think what Simon Sinek would say is he was convinced by it. Steve Jobs, in his own head, was convinced that that's what he's doing, is making the world a better place. could say that about Mark Zuckerberg as well. Whatever you think of Facebook, I think he at some point was genuinely convinced that the how of Facebook would, be, would form connections, global connections and, and partnership and, and friendships that would genuinely make the world a better place. And then Starbucks as well. I, don't, I really don't believe in being a snob. I just actually think being a snob is anti-kingdom. But I am a coffee snob. I literally can't believe Starbucks claims to make coffee. But the good news is it's not their why or even their how. Their why is to make the world a better place. And their how was not actually to make great coffee, be relieved to know. It was to create a third space in a, multi, in a multi-globalizing world, atomizing world. They wanted this place that wasn't home or work. It was a third space of community. And Starbucks was their how for their why, which is to make the world a better place. So what, and our most recent one is we're following Wrexham football team. Anyone heard about that? Absolutely classic. Such a sucker for that kind of thing. Um, So there's uh, a TV documentary maker in America who's like, I want to just do something with my money and see if it will work and make good TV. But um, I'm going to find a famous person, so the guy who acts Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds. And I'm going to find a a community that's just had a hard time and needs help and support. And we're just going to film a transition to get this community from A to B. And so I think he genuinely wants to make the world a better place by enabling a football team in this community called Wrexham, which has had a really hard time, to do really well, get promoted, and therefore infuse the community with some hope and aspiration. Because his history, the TV documentary maker, was he grew up in poverty in Philadelphia, but being part of supporting the Philadelphia Eagles was the thing that really enabled him to feel part of community, part of something bigger than himself, and it gave him hope and aspiration and made his world better. So you might think, well, no, these guys are just all into business and the bottom line and just making a profit, and of course they are. Like, of course they are. That's what businesses are supposed to do, deliver for their shareholders. But there is something in it. I've thought about it for years, and I think there is something in the conviction people have that their how is it succeeds because they have a belief in the why. And I think this TV documentary maker genuinely believes if you mobilise the the community, team, sport, whatever it is, in this case it was football, that was doing badly, 
and mobilize it, change it, and make it a successful team, that will genuinely make the world a better place because that community will feel aspiration and hope and go, has gone through something and come out the other side together. So the point he's making, and I agree with this, is, is most of us know what we're doing in our lives. Some of us know how we're doing it, but very few of us know why, and particularly have a why that is utterly convinced that what we're doing is changing the world, because that is the conviction we need to fight, to succeed in everything. And I think that resonates, because we're image bearers, and as Christians, all those here may be spiritual seekers as well, the, the claim that the invitation with Jesus is that we can genuinely can change the world and make it a better place. That is our privilege, that's our gift, that's our invitation, that's why we get up in the morning, that we have this incredible invitation to participation, as, as Charlie touched on earlier this morning. Um, we have a God who invites us into new creation, making everything new, prophetically anticipating the new creation and embodying it now in every area of our lives. So lots of us might have lots of hows. We've got, you know, the Bristol Housing Festival is a how. We've got Yes Friends, it's a how. We've got Doctors, it's a how. All sorts of things which I I don't have time to mention amongst us working in all sorts of areas, but they're all hows because our why is to make the world a better place by partnering with God and seeing his kingdom come. So I think what we need to shift on prayer is not to spend a lot of time working out how to pray, but we need to think why, why are we praying? Why pray? So that's really what I want to push into today. Can we have the first, um, we want to learn from Jesus about prayer. And then the next one, there's this beautiful image. You might have come across it. It's an icon by a, of the uh, Trinity by a Russian artist called Andrei Rublev from the 15th century, also called the Hospitality of Abraham. And it, it's basically an image of, of the Trinitarian welcome to us to sit at the table with God. So it's, it's just mind-blowing, and I find it incredibly hard to even use words to try and articulate the invitation of the complex... Trinitarian God that creates the universe and sustains all living things all the time invites us to sit at the table with this community that is God. And, you know, we try with our art and our words to express this. It's impossible to express, but that's where prayer begins is we're invited to this conversation, this participation, this change. Along with this process, we've got a lot of resources. We've literally, we're bombarding everyone with resources. We do not want anyone to go, oh, I don't know where to go for resources. Um, We're launching life groups after half term. So this can be a place you can chew over in your life groups or with friends or whatever. But the first thing I'd really recommend in terms of resources, and I've read all these resources and listened to all the podcasts I'm going to mention um, how to p- pray a guide for young explorers by Pete Gregg. I'm a great believer. If you can explain something well to children, you can explain it to everyone. This is really good. This book, the first half, Becca and Rachel and team and Kat and Charlie and others are going through this book 
So we are learning as a community how to pray. It says for young explorers, I'd say it's for everyone. It's, it's simply explaining how to pray. This book's knocking around. Um, if you want a copy, we'll try and facilitate that. But I'd really recommend that. And that will help really understand what we're doing in the first half. This is a great, this is the one for summer reading. It's about a guy called Tyler Staten who's taken over the past, the leadership of a church called Bridgetown, which some of us have been following because we um, connected with a pastor called John Mark Homer who used to lead the church. I'll come to him in a minute. But this man, Tyler Staten, has written a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Really recommend that. He's also done a YouTube, it's YouTube and podcast of uh, uh, six conversations. So if you find it harder to read, but you want to watch something on, you can see his conversations with other people who pray. They're really, really helpful online. I recommend you do both. And for example, he, he, he has six episodes. The first one is Be Still and Know with John Mark Comer. The second one on earth as it is in heaven is Intercession with Christine Kane. The third one's Our Father with Tim Mackey. Then Laboring in Prayer for the Lost, J.T. Thomas, Ask, Seek and Not with Pete Gregg, and then a conversation with all of them called Rebellious Fidelity. Those, so those are on YouTube, and that's from that book, so I really recommend that. If, if everyone can get through that book or that material by the end of August, what would be great is we're having a conversation, and we're all talking together, and we're moving together. There'll be some stuff that's new, some stuff that's old. That's not the point. The point is we want to be a community that moves on this together. And then thirdly... Um, what John Mark Home has done now, having stepped aside from being a pastor of a church, is he's, he's releasing practices every year of, uh, it's about six conversations of how to, um, be spiritually formed by God through spiritual disciplines or practices. This year he's done one on, sorry, recently he's just done one on prayer. So you can find this in Rule of Life, Practicing the Way. Again, we're going to put all these in the fortnightly thought and in the life group. But he does talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, being with God. I'm going to just highlight one person, though, who's in both. He's called Jonathan Tremaine Thomas, and he's in episode four of this one. He is a black pastor who is mobile. He's, he's got an amazing ministry called Civil Righteousness. And he has just got that depth and understanding of travailing, persevering prayer, which I felt like I was like, there's something in what he was bringing that was, that felt like sacred ground. He talks about inheriting from the, the suffering of his ancestors, something of, of, of travailing to break through that I felt was richer and deeper. And he also is an activist. So he goes right into the middle of um, kind of war zones, really, and is inspired by the Holy Spirit along with his community to be a peacemaker, actually make peace in communities. So he's got that brilliant balance between prayer and activism. So I'd really recommend Jonathan Tremaine Thomas. He's in both those series of podcasts. And he has his own ministry as well that you can find online. Essentially, though, all of the, a lot of this is still how... You touch on the why pray, but a lot of this is still how to pray. So what we're doing now is we're going to go through Luke and we're going to go, why pray? Why pray? Right in the center of Luke is 
is a brilliant, I actually really like it. It's a pared down version of what's been called the Lord's Prayer. We often use Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. But Luke has this pared down version, which I'm really enjoying. It's in the middle of Luke. And often in the way biblical writing works is it sort of parallels. So you have your outer sections and then the middle is like the central point. Then the outer sections balance each other. So we're just going to look now at the Lord's Prayer in Luke. And, and, and try and understand why we're called to pray. So the first one, Father, hallowed be your name. This is a revelation, actually, I got from the interview with Tim Mackey on this one, with Tyler Statton. Sorry. Luke 11. Um, this is absolutely critical to understanding why we're here. We're here to be image bearers, to represent God in human form. We failed as that as humans, and Jesus has come and restored the image-bearing status. He is the image of the invisible God. What our role now is, as his followers, is to make sure his name is good news in the world. That's what it means, Father, may your name be set apart, honoured, raised, dignified in the world. In the ancient Near East and and many cultures still today, it's an honour-shame culture. And the reputation of the community lay, was dependent on the honourable or shameful actions of individuals. So when we don't represent God well, we, we bring dishonour to the name of God because the only way God is known in the world, personally, is through the people of God. That was with the ancient Israelites and now it's Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus, also known as the global community of the church. We are the ones that make the name of God Honoured, dignified, raised up, full of renown in the world. And we are the ones that drag the name of God through the mud. It's us. We're the answer. We're plan A. If we are, as we're designed to be, full of compassion and purity and kindness and boldness and courage and countercultural and humble, we reflect our Father well because that's what he's like. If we are arrogant, abusive, divisive, gossipy, worldly, vain, we dishonour the name of our Heavenly Father because that's not what he's like. We bring shame. This first sentence is all about will we be image bearers that represent God well? Because the way someone gets to know God is they meet me because I claim to be a follower of Jesus. I claim to be a Christian. That's the only way they're going to know what God's like is through what I'm like. We're ambassadors. We represent him. So this is, this is a, it's a harrowing prayer. And I pray it now every day for us at Hope. When I got that revelation, I was like, Father, may we honour your, may people, may your name be honoured in the world by how we are. May we be marked by compassion and kindness and boldness and courage and humility and purity. May that be what people think when they meet, hear about a Christian person. Forget the slandering in the media. Forget the caricatures none of that has power we have power what we represent either brings honor to the name of God or dishonor it's what we actually do we have authority there are no excuses so this is a name of honor but if you parallel it sorry it's a phrase of 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 we reflect as children our father in heaven and his name is honored when we are honorable how does that 
um, parallel. I love, if you look at the fifth one at the end, lead us not into temptation. Our biggest temptation is to resist our image bearing status and resist on bringing honor to the father. Actually, every sin is boiled down to that one thing. Are we there bringing honor to the father? Are we being tempted to rule in our own wisdom or be passive or resist or do our own thing? So can you see how they parallel each other and balance each other? If we want God's name to be honored, we have to continually resist temptation to not temptation to sin because that dishonors God. They're parallels. They're two sides of the same coin. That's often how biblical literature works. So we need to pray that for each other, that we're not tempted to just live a life for ourselves because that dishonors the father. But rather we resist that like Jesus did and we live a life worthy of our calling. And when people meet us, they want to know God because there's something so beautiful and compelling and compassionate and kind about us. Then the next two, your kingdom come and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone against who sins against us. That kind of sharp, it it kind of brings even more focus. We want the kingdom of God, God's reign to come, his, his rule to be established where everything flourishes under his care. What blocks that? What blocks his kingdom coming? Anyone? Sorry? What blocks God's kingdom coming? Yeah, so things like, it's sin. Sin is falling short of God's design or overstepping the mark. So that's why that is a good reflection of your kingdom come. We need to be constantly dealing with our sin, constantly bringing stuff into the light with someone else, breaking the power of it, not having any secret patterns, just it's always out there with someone, a trusted person, doesn't have to be a big deal. We just need to get, excuse my crudeness here we just need to get our sewage system sorted out so we're not killing each other and other people because sin is toxic and it destroys but if we have our sewage system talking out we know how to confess we know who we're confessing to when we're sinned against we immediately forgive and we bless and we forgive and bless and forgive and bless until we're pure then his kingdom will come through us they're the same thing they're two sides of the same coin And then finally, what I love that Luke does, and that's what I'm going to drill on on now, is you would have thought itself, God would want, the most important thing is his name's hallowed and we deal with our sin. But I love how Luke is so kind and represents the kindness of God that actually what Jesus really cares about is that we ask him for things. Give us today our daily bread. How do I know that? Because the most explicit teaching on prayer in Luke is actually about people asking for things. All the other things are in Luke. Oh my gosh, the kingdom is coming through Jesus all the time and his wisdom and his power and his healing. It's unbelievable. Reading Luke, skim reading Luke in one sitting, you meet the beautiful Jesus. He is everywhere. Yes, there's teaching about dealing with sin and so on. But the biggest emphasis in Luke is about, it's for the poor, it's for women, it's for Gentiles, it's for outcasts. And it's for those people who we just are desperate and need to ask God for things, as Charlie was talking about earlier, who we just know our need. There's so much teaching in, in Luke on asking, give us today our daily bread. So the first thing is, Jesus knew he was the beloved son of the father. He brought honor to the name. We're designed to do that too. We're the beloved children of the father. When we live out of the reality of our identity, we will honor God's name and resist temptation. 
The second thing is we inaugurate the kingdom by continually making sure we're clean. We're clean. We deal with sins against us and we deal with our sin. So we're clean. But the heart of this message here is Jesus wants us to ask him for things. So if we go to this, this is the the Bible text we're going to particularly look at. There's two actually. It's lovely. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Can we all just say the word shameless audacity? He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, and you'll know this in the Greek, the verse is, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. The one who keeps on seeking finds. And the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's something here about God wants us to pray, but it requires something. It requires us offending our social sensibilities and what's socially appropriate. There's a shameless audacity. That's why I kept this version, because that phrase just is just so anti-British. We're so full of shame and being socially appropriate. This is so offensive. Any of us who have small children just got them to bed, just to sleep. You don't want anyone banging on the door, waking them up, do you? It's just so offensive, everything about this. It were, it's really hard work making bread before they had bakeries. Someone would have been milling the flour all day and baking it and so on. And it's just everything about this is so offensive. And, and, and basically, the guy's like, okay, have it. I don't even like you anymore. If I did before, you're not my friend anymore. But because you're just so relentless and have such shameless audacity, I'll give you what you ask. There's something about God wanting our heart and our guts and our desperation and our faith. And let's look at the next one because it kind of has a similar feel to it. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Notice his prayer This really feels like he's talking prayer, he's asking for things. Like, this is what he's kind of saying. Yes, there's all this other stuff in the Lord's Prayer. But the real thing, when he's saying you should pray, he's saying you should ask for things and not give up. In a certain town, there was a judge. This is a parallel. uh, Sorry, a parable. This isn't saying that God is like the judge. It's saying God is the opposite to the judge. How much more will God give justice In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who that would have represented a very poor, vulnerable, marginalized community who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Can you feel this woman? Oh my God, she's so feisty. She's not defining herself how culture defines her, as poor and vulnerable, a victim and marginalized. She's like, I want justice, I want justice, I'm going to get justice, until he is fed up. He doesn't care about anyone. He is fed up. 
And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And this is just so beautiful, this bit. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think there's something about the the shameless audacity here. She doesn't care what people think. She's offending what's appropriate. She's poor. He's rich. She's doing everything. She's violating all social conventions. But there's something else I find really challenging in this. Is the level of desperation that people have who would cry out to God for something day and night. Probably about three times in my life I've been that desperate. And it's usually to do with, with someone, you know close to me, maybe very sick or, you know, vulnerable in some way, where you're just so desperate, you're willing to just nothing else matters. And there's something about these, this vision of prayer that is about the, the utter desperation where all else has failed. And there's just the, all we've got left is to cry out to God day and night. Um, and Jonathan, actually Tremaine Thomas, I mentioned earlier, he, he uh, touches on that actually um, during the African-American slave trade. He talks about the men and women in America would just be like in a lock-in all night, just crying out to God for deliverance all night. And it, I feel like this kind of thing is touching on that kind of thing. That just such gross violation of justice, such an incredible, inexcusable suffering that the only thing people have left is they do these lock-ins and just cry out to God for deliverance. So this, Jesus is touching on something that I've not really experienced in my own life, but I'm going to come to a minute, in a minute, to what's blocking me from experiencing it, because I think it's for everyone. Is a, is a level of desperation that, that, that gets breakthrough. And it takes a long time to get breakthrough. It, 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 it is akin, and it's been talked about again and again in, in biblical imagery. And they talk about it a lot in these podcasts, like labor pains, just excruciating pain until there's a breakthrough in deliverance. And that seems to be what we're touching on with this give us today our daily bread. Small words, but the whole of humanity laid out before God, travailing for change, travailing for breakthrough, travailing for justice, travailing for the kingdom to come. I actually was quite ill when I was um, skim reading Luke. to prepare for this talk and that's always quite good isn't it when we're slightly undefended slightly maybe in dreams I think God speaks through dreams because we're less defended and I think he penetrated me and that's really what I want to to share now I got to the end of Luke and we're in Gethsemane. So I was reading all the examples where Jesus prays. He goes off to solitary places and prays. 
he he has incredible ministry and then it says i i've got to go here because the father sent me to inaugurate the kingdom i'm going here because he's prayed and in fact that's why the lord's prayer comes out because the disciples see cause and effect cause and effect cause and effect so much that they're like that's the why you you pray and things happen tell us the how so the lord's prayer is a how do we pray because they've seen the why it's obvious and so I'm seeing this connection as I'm reading Luke and I come to Gethsemane and it's another, another text on prayer. He's, he's suffering and he takes his closest friends with him, Peter, James and John, to the Mount of Olives. And he says to them, pray that you won't fall into temptation, a reflection on the last line of, of the Lord's Prayer in Luke. He withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So Jesus prayed. I know that sounds a really obvious thing to say, but he as a human prayed. He prayed in all sorts of different situations, and the most acute time of his life he prayed deeply honestly earnestly desperately through the night he embodies always he is always at the heart of all these passages he's the one who cries out for justice day and night in Gethsemane he's praying and surrendering and enabling justice to be done and then it says, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And this was it, like Jesus went, boom. I was undefended and he just went straight to my jugular. He's always invitational, never accusational. So if you ever hear accuser, accusational, that's the accuser. But if you ever have a question that's invitational, that's how the Holy Spirit often draws out what's really going on. And he said to me, he says to the disciples, why are you sleeping? He asked them and he said it to me. I just felt him say, boom, why are you sleeping? Why don't you pray? I'm asking you, Jesus, why pray? And he answers me with a question. Why are you sleeping? Why aren't you praying? And I, I just, he unraveled me at that moment and exposed the, the sin that started to block up my prayer life. I'm not talking about individual prayer life where you sit in silence and solitude and it's lovely, or you, you know, stare at the wisteria. I'm talking about prevailing prayer that enters into the injustice of the world and changes things. And this is my sin that I'm going to put up now. Those are the questions Jesus asked, and there were five things. Firstly, I, I, I had disappointed. He, he unraveled that question. Five things immediately came to mind. I knew why I was asleep and why I wasn't praying. One, I was disappointed. They used the phrase exhausted from sorrow because things haven't turned out the way I thought they would. We've been around the prayer center for 20 years. I'm disappointed. Secondly, unbelief. Does prayer really make a difference? I'm not going to waste any time on something that's not changing the world. Activism looks a lot more obvious. It looks like if someone has no food and you give them soup, that you're feeding them. That looks quantifiable. Prayer. Ooh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on something that isn't going to change the world. We all know that, that we need to know why. 
denial. And this is actually the real issue, going back to crying out to God for, for justice, is actually I don't really want to face the pain and suffering in the world. Jesus, the broken body of Christ, Gethsemane's everywhere. It's in, it's in, you know, it's in our streets here. It's in the war in Ukraine. It's in all the other wars that are always going on. It's in the sex industry. It's in homelessness. It's in hunger. It's in injustice. The broken body of Christ is everywhere. And I just want my nice little life because I don't want to have to feel the suffering that will take me to a place where I cry out to God day and night for justice. I don't want to have to participate in that fellowship of his sufferings. That's sin, actually, because Jesus did. He didn't have to, and he did. So he's the one I follow, which means that even if I haven't particularly had many experiences in my life in that, if I follow him, I can be led into that. And then the other two kind of, that was the heart, was denial. I just didn't want to go there. And then the other two kind of reflect that disruption, I don't like the idea of what it might cost. I don't want sleepless nights. I really don't. I always get ill. Always. I want to be a well, healthy person. I don't want to be so desperate about the pain in the world that I actually can't sleep at night. And fear of retaliation because it's a war zone and there's cost. I do remember and take heart, though, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was... A pastor in, under Nazi Germany, he was so convinced of the evil of Hitler, he actually overcame his own theological pacifism and, and um, designed a way to get rid of Hitler. In 1944, he was caught and he was executed. So he never actually succeeded in that. In some ways, he became a martyr. But one of the things he said is the cost of disobedience is far greater than the cost of obedience. And I think he's probably right on the fear of retaliation. Forever we're going to be able to sit in silence and solitude and worship and look at the wisteria. That's new creation, isn't it? But we've got a finite season where we enter into the sufferings of the world and cry out to God day and light for breakthrough. So when he said to me, why are you sleeping? Why aren't you praying? I was similar to the disciples in a strange way. I felt exhausted from sorrow. And all I can do when I'm convicted of sin is repent. He's got to impart the grace to change me. So I'm going to repent now. If there's anything in any of you that you feel like, you know what, that's blocking my prayer life or that's blocking my corporate prayer life, because I want us really to move into corporate prayer. I think there's power where two or three are gathered, things are guaranteed for us. There's something about the agreement of believers, where the dividing wall of hostility has been dealt with on the cross. We come to a place of agreement. Things are done for us, and that's fundamentally opposed. The biggest opposition the church ever faces from the beginning to end is division, because when we're in agreement, nothing's impossible for us. So, But this could be personal prayer life. It could be in your own prayers. You're like, actually, the Holy Spirit's revealed a blockage. It's got to be from the Holy Spirit, but I'd love if there's any conviction for, for everyone, to, everyone to stand up now. I'm going to repent of what I'm doing wrong, this conviction. And if there's anything in your own hearts and minds where you're like, you know, that is blocking me from prayer, then just say it to God. 
If you feel it's an actual endemic pattern, Brett, say it to someone else. Because there's power which says when we confess our sins to each other, we pray for each other, we're healed. There's something about getting it into the light that breaks the power of the of sin patterns. If you don't feel you've got any blockages or problems with prayer, that is amazing. Stand with us because we want breakthrough. I want breakthrough. I don't want this in my life anymore. I, I don't want to resist the suffering in the world. I want to be able to engage in it and I can't in my own strength. So I'm going to pray repentance, prayer. If there's any things you want to just pray in your heart and mind, when I say my thing, you say your thing. So, Lord, thank you that you give grace to the humble. As I think Marvin said 50% of solutions is just acknowledging the problem. And the problem in me are these things. I'm dis- I have carried disappointment, unbelief, denial, disruption, and fear. I don't want those things in my life anymore. I don't want any blockages to an anointing in this place to build prayer in the city. So I receive your forgiveness and just stand here for a moment and just receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. And Lord, I take authority over any unclean spirits, ways of thinking, lies or deceptions that come into my thinking and my behavior and my heart. Disappointment, unbelief, denial, disruption and fear. You have no place in me. I do not agree with you. You are not the kingdom. And I receive now a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you feel like there's anything in you that's unclean, you can just take authority over it and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. We have full jurisdiction. We only, the enemy only has access to what we give him. And when we shut the door on it, he doesn't have access anymore. And then we receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, an immersion in the Holy Spirit to be as we are in Christ. Sharing in the fellowship of suffering, becoming like Jesus in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead, the new creation. Lord, we ask for that immersion, that baptism in the Spirit that enables us to follow you to these places. Enables us to partner with you in the intercessions you constantly make for the broken body of Christ around the world. Enable us to see it as work and roll up our sleeves and get stuck in and see quantifiable change. I pray for that immersion in the spirit now, fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit, the grace to be imparted to us to raise corporate prayer. Because we can see it's obvious why we pray, because you answer prayer. You answer prayer, you're good, you're just, you hear the cries of your children and you respond. That's why we pray. Actually, the why was there all along. The problem was with me. So I ask for a fresh immersion, a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit to enable us to pray in Christ, with Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit for the things that are on the Father's heart for the world. 
just going to, we're going to take now a minute or two to wait on the spirit, to hear the spirit's voice for us and for one another. We believe the gift of prophecy builds up the church. We may have a word for someone else in their prayer life. We may have a word for ourselves. Let's give the Holy Spirit time to minister to us. And if anyone senses a prophetic word for the community, please come to the microphone. I just had a picture of uh, lots of bottles with corks stuck in them. And as we were praying, it was like these corks just popped out of the bottles and this liquid flowed out of the bottle. And it reminded me of that verse in John, which I can't find at the moment, but about the fact that living water will flow out of us. And um, there's something about we, we do the repentance and... God's living water flows out of us and brings change in ways that we don't even know. So I don't know if that's encouraging. I'm not really sure how to put this into words, um, so it might be just one to ignore, but um, it's really powerful what you said, really powerful. Um, I think perhaps lots of us bring our baggage of years. um, And it's really important, like, to remain in in Jesus' love. I'm just thinking about that phrase that you said about him being a man of sorrows. Um, And just just remembering that that as we carry those things, he's only going to... He doesn't, he's not giving us these things to carry to pray so that he can break us down or make us miserable. You know, um, he loves us. He loves the world. And I don't know, just for me, I think it's going to be like pushing into this. It's going to be really like a little bit forward and then I just need to do the sitting. I, and I know you didn't mean to sort of belittle it, but actually the sitting quietly, for me, that's really important as a way of just knowing his love so I want to push into the the perseverance in prayer I know that's a word that I have had but also just love being the heart you know he's good and he's gentle with us I think off just the back of that um, I had a a picture of basically a city under siege um a great war when this army in front just just throwing catapults and whatnot at, at this wall and just 
we as a community sitting back and just being still and being quiet um, and just we're respecting the time and we understand when it's time to counter and, and counterattack. And instead of us attacking as such, I had this real picture and um, image of us actually just shouting and cr- like crying and just blowing trumpets and just being an absolute um, just force um, um, in sound and for this whole army just completely to just stand back it and to be stunned. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's an encouragement to leave our phones on loud. So sometimes when we get really busy, the knowing we know how God calls, we know how God speaks, but sometimes we put it on silent because we're too busy and don't want to be disturbed. And it's, oh, please don't call me now. I can't do that now. And he's like, it's okay. Leave it on loud. I'm calling for a reason. And when you answer this call, something amazing is going to happen. Please do answer the call. I was just reminded of a a very potent uh, Holy Spirit dream that I had years and years ago, but it still sort of sticks with me. And it was... The main sort of message within it was about the power of prayer. So for anybody who does not believe in the power of prayer, I myself have witnessed in a dream that God un- hears every single dream, um, every prayer. Even if you are just thinking it, he hears them. He feels them. He can taste every single part of them. And in this dream, I was able to hold back a very potent attack of the enemy. He was throwing everything he could at me, but I was holding it back with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it was all because of prayer. And, you know, the message from God was like, you think, you know, prayer doesn't work? That is what it can do. I'm just going to close it now, and we want to hear what you're going to say, your prophetic word. So I just, I'm going to finish with one story of encouragement. Some of you might know Open Doors, which is uh, a ministry by a man who's now died called Brother Andrew. It was about Bible smuggling into places where Christians were um, oppressed. Anyway, I saw the story of the prayer life. And in 1982, they started praying for the... um, the tearing down of the Iron Curtain. This isn't a political commentary. It's more there was a place in Europe where people were persecuted for praying. It was called Eastern Europe. They prayed for seven years. They said they set themselves. They felt God say to pray for seven years for the tearing down of the Iron Curtain. And I know in 1989, because I watched it, the Berlin Wall came down. And, and without really very little bloodshed, those prayers were answered. It took them seven years. And probably loads of other people crying out to God. But he did answer that prayer. And that's a global political system change prayer. And so to encourage us that why we pray, because God answers prayer. He answers in the small scale, but he also answers in the global prayer level. So I'm going to finish now with a prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you invite us to participate Thank you that you've spoken 
that you're healing us. And we pray over the next few months ahead, we really have your impartation of grace for what you're building here at Hope. And may no weapon formed against us prosper. In the name of Jesus. Amen.